0: From the social justice classroom inside Hugh Secondary, this is Voices. A youth-created podcast driven by a steadfast commitment to improving the world around us.
1: Hi, my name is Sophie. And my name is Emily. And you are listening to the Voices Podcast.
0: Today, we're excited to be interviewing Mr. Mario Canseco, the president of Research Co, a research organization that has a global network of partners in
1: the qualitative data collection and data visualization specialties. Mr. Canseco wrote an engaging recent article entitled Discrimination, a Reality for Most Women in British Columbia, which will be features of today's discussion. He's a columnist from Business in Vancouver Magazine, who holds Masters of Journalism from the University of British Columbia and is a regular contributor to other Canadian publications. Thank Thank you very much for for speaking with us today.
2: It's my pleasure, thank you for having me.
1: Yeah, so what's inspired
0: you to write about and conduct research on the discrimination women in BC face today? As we certainly find it fascinating to hear a male perspective on the topic of sexism and gender equity.
2: Well, I was really interested in this, um, partly because of my own experiences. Um, I grew up in Mexico, we had a situation where it was very complicated for women to break through when it came to work, uh, very uh, macho mentality when it came to the way businesses were run. And I was interested in just how many uh, Canadian women had experienced similar situations. It's certainly more nuanced in Canada and part of the reason that made me curious about this was is it a generational thing and i think one of the things that we noticed in the in the research was um the fact that you have a lot of women over the age of 55 over the age of 35 who experienced discrimination uh, but didn't actually realize that they did until years later you know that the older generations essentially going well it was okay to to be the subject of a joke or to have somebody who would approach you in a way that made you uncomfortable, but that is the way it used to be in the 70s and 80s. And it's the younger generation that goes, wait a second, <laughs> you, you were discriminated against. This isn't the right course of action. You were harassed at, at work. Maybe you didn't notice it at the time, but certainly the younger generations are more likely to be noticing it and to do something about it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about your research and some of your key findings on gender discrimination in BC?
2: Well, I think the, the, the main issue that we found um, is that um, there's certainly a lot of people who are young who would do something about it. If they were facing a scenario where discrimination is at play, um, they're more likely to talk to somebody about it, more likely to report it. Um, We're living in a different time as far as the level of reporting that goes through when something like this is happening at a business. And it's almost as if the three generations are very different in their own views. Um, Those who are age 35 to 54 may be reminiscing about some of the things that they encountered. And ultimately looking at what happened as a batch of honor. You know, this is the price of being a woman who is working in the 1980s or 1990s. You're going to face this type of situation. Somebody is going to harass you. Somebody is going to discriminate against you. Somebody is not going to pay you as much as they would pay a man. But that is the way it used to be uh, in the 20th century. Um, The younger generation more likely to say, no, this is this would be enough for me to search for a different job and to actually do something about it. And the the biggest surprise is ultimately the over 55s. Uh, um, a lot of people who were trailblazers, you know, being in businesses where women were not employed as much as they are today, and looking into their own experiences as something that just was part of the way in which business was conducted. Um, and, and to me that was the most striking thing. You know, you the same experience that happened to a woman who's 29 and says, you know, I left my job. This was horrible. This is terrible. I reported to human resources. You have the same experience for a woman who's, let's say, 57 or 58, who goes, that's the way it used to be. So, uh, the, what I like about the research is you're starting to see the newer generations um, more in tune with what shouldn't be happening and actually doing something about it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So does there seem to be a particular aspect of life where women experience discrimination most? Is the workplace one of those areas?
2: It's definitely the workplace more than others. And what's really striking is I thought we were going to have a, a little bit of a regional breakdown. You know, maybe this is happening more in Metro Vancouver because of the way in which the offices have been established. Um, it's certainly more constant um, when you're looking at it that way. That doesn't mean that we didn't see discrimination in the education sector. And and that was also quite striking as far as, you know, students at university uh, who felt that they were harassed by specific professors and so on. Um, It's a different mentality now. I think it's something that we're reporting more and we're talking about it certainly in a more open fashion than we did uh, in the 20th century. Um, But you look into that generational aspect and and a, a lot of women over the age of 55 who, Real, essentially tell us this is what I experienced, but I don't consider it a form of discrimination because this, this is the way things used to be back then. So it's, it's interesting as far as the, uh, the, the way in which some of these things are compartmentalized. You, know, you, you don't want to have somebody say, well, yeah, 30 years ago, my boss harassed me. They're like, well, that's the way it used to be. Uh, the good thing is the younger generations are looking at it and saying, "We're not going to let this happen—not to us." Yeah,
0: exactly. Okay. Um, Are there particular segments of the female population that are more likely to recognize and report discrimination than others?
2: The young ones, thankfully. I mean, <laughs> when you look at it plainly, um, it's the younger population and people who are on their first or second job. Um, who are looking into the way in which the offices are working, who are developing a relationship with their peers and their bosses that is certainly uh, healthier than what we see with Generation X women or with baby boomer women. Um, That plays a role not only in the way in which you're going to be behaving internally, Uh, I think there's certainly a fear uh, when somebody does something like this uh, that is going to have an immediate impact on your career. Do I report it? Do I do something? Am I going to get fired? Am I going to get blacklisted? We see a lot of those problems emerging, particularly with Generation X women. If you're 35 to 54, you're more likely to have gone through this process of, do I say something? Do I report it? I really want my job. I don't want to be fired. I don't want to be blacklisted. Uh, younger women don't have that problem. They're definitely going to speak their minds. I think we're in a very different situation when it comes to the way in which the workplace is, is, is actually behaving. Um, and it's the over 55s who go, and maybe I should have done something about it. But at the time, we didn't have the, the stringent reporting as far as human resources is concerned. We didn't have a policy towards sexual harassment um and this is one of the reasons why they look back on their experience and go well this is the way it used to be almost as if you're talking to a grandpa who's talking about the times when you didn't have to wear a seatbelt, belt right like, so oh it, it used to be easier back then and we just you know plopped the kids in the back seat and there was no car seat for children and no safety restraints or what have you um it's because they didn't experience it. now they look back on it and go well it wasn't so bad but You know, when you think about all the things that could have gone wrong in a car without seatbelts, that is what gets you thinking. And I think it's a similar situation, looking back into your own experience and saying it wasn't that bad, Um, but it's certainly not something that the younger generations of today would stand for. Yeah. Hmm.
1: Why do you think Canada, despite always being in the top ten safest country for women to live, still struggles with harassment?
2: I think it has a lot to do with the structures of the companies. Um, you look into other jurisdictions. And, and of course, you know, we could look at other places where, uh, you know, women are not allowed to drive or they can't have specific jobs and you can't go out at night unless there's somebody there with you. Like there's always that opportunity to compare yourself with people who are doing worse than we are. And, you know, it's, it's a way to make yourself feel better. You know, at least we're not as bad as Afghanistan or Saudi Arabia. I, I've, I've never been a subscriber to that particular form of viewing the world. Um, and what happens is the structures, particularly the, the, the reporting structures, are what causes the problem. You know, you can have a human resources department that is going to be designed to supposedly allow you to say that something went wrong. But in most cases, it's actually the area that is defending those who are harassing people. Uh, so, you know, the no- some of the comments that we got back were actually kind of heartbreaking because... We ask people, did you report this to Human Resources? It's like, well, no, because Human Resources was the one who was responsible for the harassment. Or Human Resources is, you know, designed to help the CEO get away with the stuff that he was getting away with, and that is part of the difficulty that we're seeing. You know, it's it's happening because of the context. You know, we look at ourselves as a society that is very open and in in certain ways mild when it comes to the way in which the office um, is going to be working, but you still have those structures that haven't been broken. And part of it has to do with the fact that there's no coherent reporting structure. You know, we've asked about this before, like should we have some sort of federal guideline in order to make sure that something like this doesn't happen? You know, we have federal guidelines for paying our taxes. We have federal guidelines for, you know, uh, cleaning the streets where your offices are located. Why can't we have a federal guideline? to deal with harassment. And, and the answer that we're always getting from Canadians is that this makes a lot of sense. Um, but you get the sense from the businesses that, well, I don't want the government telling me how I should run my company. Well, if you're committing fraud, uh, they definitely have a chance to tell you that you shouldn't. And it's a similar scenario for me. You know, If you have specific guidelines in place about how the businesses should operate and ensure that harassment and discrimination aren't happening, Um, we would all be better for it.
0: Yeah, definitely. So in your recent article, you mentioned that 9% of women suffer loss of potential employment opportunities. Could you discuss some of the potential reasons why this might be happening?
2: We saw a couple of things that really jumped out of the page on that one. And one of them is uh, the age. You know, we think about age discrimination sometimes as somebody who's very young and maybe isn't that experienced and i'm going to hire somebody who's a little bit older or somebody who's a little bit older and maybe is not in tune with the way in which we're communicating today or they're not great at social media like you have a lot you you can get it from both sides in that sense um but it's it's particularly troubling um when it comes to Um, women who can become pregnant. And and it's something that we see consistently. We heard from people who said, um, I wasn't offered a full-time job because they were under the impression that because I was married or because I was expecting to to start a family at some point, they didn't want to carry on with somebody like me uh, who was going to go on maternity leave. And again, you know, those are some guidelines that are already in place and the businesses have to abide by them. Um, And we heard from women who were saying we we weren't particularly treated fairly because of this. You know, part of what we saw was credentials, you know, people who studied abroad or who maybe had an accent that wasn't particularly great for the people who were hiring or that didn't fit the profile that the company wanted. Uh, But what we heard more than anything was, you know, I was in my early 20s, mid to late 20s, early 30s. And my impression during the interview process was that they didn't want to hire somebody who maybe was going to take a year off to have a child, and this is something that continues to happen. And uh, it's it's not legal, you know. You you cannot ask a question like that. You cannot base your decision on on on, on something um, which is akin to your family life. Uh, but it keeps happening. You know, people told us. You know, I I, I thought I had this job lined up and everything was perfect until they started asking questions about my family life.
1: Do pregnant women face barriers in the workplace such as do they find it harder to get a job even though our laws should protect them from discrimination?
2: That's absolutely true. I mean we we heard uh from from both sides of it. You know, part of what we heard as well was everything was fine and then when I came back to my to my job, uh, somebody else was doing the things and and In a way two of the examples that we heard from um, were very harsh in the sense of you you go back to the job that you were promised and Mm -hmm. you're not no longer handling the same files you're no longer doing the same things you're sort of demoted you're still getting paid for it uh, but there's somebody else who's taken on those responsibilities and you're there almost as a token Uh, you know here you are you still have a job you're going to do certain things differently and um, and the businesses have a very easy way out of this well you know when you were gone having your child and coming back from athlete uh, the company changed and they start to throw all of this you know catchphrases at you, you know we needed somebody who thought outside the box or we're going to revolutionize the paradigm or whatever uh, so it means that the job that you signed up for which is the same job that you were supposed to go back to is no longer there and and that is two of the uh, women that we heard from essentially said, you know, I I couldn't stay there anymore because, yes, I was getting paid, but I wasn't being challenged. My views weren't really as respected as they were before because there was somebody else there um, who was doing the job that I was supposed to be doing.
1: Yeah. Does this impact only pregnant women or are women with children also experiencing discrimination?
2: It happens also uh, with women with young children. I think there's Part of what happens uh, during the hiring process is, is this going to become a distraction? Is this something that is going to... uh, Are we going to be in the middle of a meeting and the cell phone is going to ring and then mom is going to have to go to school because something happened or the kid at childcare is very upset or um, we have a situation that requires your immediate attention. And, And part of what happens is, a lot of the decision makers in those businesses are, are coming from a world where this is the way it used to be. You know, women weren't working as much. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm expecting people to be here when I need them. Um, that is part of the problem um, with the argument. And, and it changes as, as the children get a little bit older. Uh, if you don't have a young child, it's easier for the businesses to go, well, you know, she's not going to be bothered that much. She's not going to be, you know, outside of the office dealing with stuff that is related to family life. Um, but it's, it's definitely one of the issues that is affecting people. You know, it's more than anything, it's the, the possibility of harassment, whether people identify it as such or not. And the idea that if you need to have some sort of additional, um, things to do because of your family situation, that is going to take you away from, from the job, which is, ironic now that we have companies that essentially give you your own laptop, give you your own cell phone. Um, you know, people used to look at that as, oh, this is great. You know, the company's paying me for this. But it's it's a way to keep tabs on you um, more than ever. know, I mean, it worked very well during the pandemic because of Zoom and other things. Um, but in a way, it's, it's still keeping you there. You know, you may be having dinner with your family and the boss wants to talk to you and they issued your phone. So you have to answer
0: it. Yeah. And we often hear about unequal pay in the workplace based on gender. What are some factors that you think contribute to this? The
2: the main one is the expectation, and I think this is happening partly because of the way the older generations view it. You know, it's all combined, and and you know the this idea of well, you know, she's a mother, she's going to be taking care of kids, she may be distracted. Um, we're still dealing with some of those uh, ancient uh, uh, views of the way women in the workplace are going to behave and, and when men of a certain age are the ones who are making those decisions it's going to come back and, and, and haunt you and you know we see a little bit of that as far as the way in which some of those decisions have been made and you know it ultimately has an effect on how much money you're going to pay people you know we're nowhere near the the, the pay equity uh, that we should have Uh, and but a lot of this happens because of the lack of transparency from businesses Um, you can have somebody who has the same title who's doing the same job who's at the office at the same time and who's pulling in uh, a significantly larger amount of money if they're a man than if they're a woman and and it's again this is something that we've asked uh, at the federal level and people are very supportive of this but there's there's no framework in place to compel companies to to behave this way if, if anything it's it's a reporting that is transparent from the companies that want to do it and and obviously this is attractive you know you want to work for a company that is going to have that equity uh, a pay situation completely resolved but it doesn't stop others from from doing something like that and and that's when you get to the jealousies and the problems you know why am I getting paid? $10,000, $20,000 less than this person because of that. Um, it's it's a lot easier. I mean, it's, it's, it's weird, but you look at a situation like sports, you know, we know exactly how much money every person who plays for a professional sports team makes. And that's when you can make the assumption, well, you know, if here's a person who is, you know, maybe not playing that well and is making a million dollars more than this player who's young and whose career is beginning, We have that opportunity to measure it. And and we're always complaining about it. Oh, this guy's making too much money. We don't have that in businesses. And and it's definitely not something that makes people happy because you know that there's no equity. Hmm.
1: Do you think that gender-based discrimination and harassment can be solved in the workplace and in general? And what do you think might be potential solutions to address this issue?
2: I think the the one solution for me, uh, which would be Uh, fairly simple, is to ensure that you have a human resources department that is not going to be tied to the wishes of uh, the corporate uh, leaders. Um, There's companies that have done this, and there's um, human resources companies that go in there and try to figure out how things are going. They're not directly tied to, to the corporate responsibility. But I think part of the problem with human resources is, depending on where you are, Um, They are are departments that are going to be handling everything from, you know, do we change the windows? Do we have new curtains? Uh, Who do we hire? Who do we fire? But also when it comes to the protection of certain employees who are bringing in a lot of money. I mean, a lot of these examples of of harassment that, that women told us about had to do with very big earners. Like, you know, I cannot go and tell human resources that the vice president of something harassed me. Because he is a person who's bringing in a lot of money for the company. I would have no way to 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 actually compare what I'm doing with what he's doing. and I just don't think that they're that they're going to be punished. Um, so having that additional layer of of review, um, but also an additional layer that is completely independent from the corporate issue. you know, it's 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 similar to the way in which we look into specific punishments, you know, that's the way the justice system works. you know, we're going to look at this. Uh, holistically and make a decision about what happened here. You know, this is the way in which the small claims court works, right? You know, we think you didn't do the job. We think you didn't pay us. We're going to figure out a way to do this, but nobody's working for one of the two warring sides. And, And that's the problem with human resources. You know, that was one of the most heartbreaking findings, you know, asking people, why didn't you report this? Well, I felt powerless. Yes, we have a human resources department, but it's not there to help me when I'm facing harassment. It's designed to protect people and to make it tougher for me to actually talk about what I experienced.
0: Yeah, exactly. And despite the current and concerning challenges we discussed today, are there any positive takeaways you see in your research or in your understanding of discrimination in BC?
2: The one uh, silver lining in a way is the generational changes. Uh, the younger generation is not going to tolerate this. The younger generation is not going to continue to say, well, I really need the job and this is something that has to happen. The fact that we're talking about this more openly is making things better. And, and in a strange way, you know. part of what I do is figure out what is going to be happening 10 20 years from now and you start to see a little bit of that trend over time Uh, the way we feel about political correctness for instance is very different from the way we felt about it in the 1990s and part of it is you have a generation that is growing with different sets of values and who are not going to look into some of these hierarchical structures in the same way that their uh, let's say mothers or grandmothers did and this is the big difference for me, that, that you know, you have a situation now where the stuff that somebody could have gotten away with in 1987 is not something that they can get away with in 2022, not only because of the way in which we're reporting this and looking at it, but also because the ones who are the victims are going to stand up and speak about it. That is the biggest difference for me. You know, if, if we had a consistent generational issue, well, this is happening and nothing is 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 being done uh, I would be worried but you know it's the younger um women who are saying if i experience this um i'm not going to be quiet and and it's the over 55 women who are saying well i kind of was harassed but it was a different time and and we didn't make much of it so that generational shift um certainly suggests to me that we're heading in the right direction
0: hmm. yeah definitely okay thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today to talk about the topic that we should really pay attention to it was our pleasure to have you
2: it's my pleasure to be here thank you for the invitation